the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Mike Pence. Good morning, Mr. Vice President. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hugh, it is uh, great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that welcome, and thank you, thank you for having me on uh, on a on a day so important in the life of our family with the publication of my autobiography. So help me God, it's a great way to start the day on the Hugh Hewitt Show. I have spent the last seventy two hours, ninety six hours actually, reading So Help Me God, and it's a magnificent read. I want everyone to go out and get it, and you will be rewarded. I had a caller earlier today said. Why don't you talk to Mike Pence about what happened in Indiana with the Art Riffer? I said, there's a whole chapter on that. You want to go get the book? And so I, I knocked him out. But let's start by telling people why I chose That's Life. I always take my music cues out of the book. And I didn't want to play, oh, Indiana, Indiana, because, you know, Ohio State just thrashed the, the Hoosiers. So explain to people why I picked my, uh, That's Life by Frank Sinatra. You know, the, the story that I try and tell in So Help Me God is really a story about God's faithfulness, about the central role that my decision to put my faith in Jesus Christ uh, played, the role that my wife and family have played. But but someone told me not long ago they think the, the secret star of So Help Me God is my late father, Ed Pence. And uh, um, he was a great fan of Frank Sinatra. Dad's been gone 30 years, but I will tell you that song that you brought us in with, you still, when I hear it, I can't think of... Uh, I, I can't help but think of my dad. I can't help but see him smiling. It really, it really, in so many ways, um, he was a man of a profound faith. He was a combat veteran, but uh, he lived the American dream. And uh, he is the star of So Help Me God, Mr. Vice President, because <laughs> Mick you. and the four boys go out and make that sign for the farmer and people. We don't have time to do that. People should read it just for that book. But everybody deserves a father like Ed Pence and nobody deserves to lose them at the age of 58. And uh, that rallying from that and your mom being a, a widow for so many years is also she's a hero, too. I just I love books for the when they get into parents, because parenting matters. And you talk a lot about parenting, and I appreciate that, Mr. Vice President. Let's, uh, let me ask you something else in here. Uh, you Thanks. both are a successful member of the House. You ran successfully for a leadership position. You ran unsuccessfully for a leadership position. So let me start with some news. What should the House GOP do right away with Kevin McCarthy? I think, I think Kevin McCarthy should be the next Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. I served with Kevin when I was... In leadership, the last time we defeated Nancy Pelosi and uh, Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, their entire team have, have led this conference to a victory. I know I know people would like to see that majority larger. I I traveled to 35 states in the last year, but uh, make no mistake about it, uh, Kevin McCarthy is is going to be a great Speaker of the House, and uh, uh, having the Republicans in the majority in the House of Representatives is going to give us a foundation to begin to turn this country back to the policies that we were advancing at, at home and abroad under the Trump-Pence administration. And uh, 
uh, I couldn't be more supportive of the next Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. I wish people would read, journalists would read, so help me God, for how this works, because you actually detail when you ran unsuccessfully against John Boehner and when you ran successfully for conference chair. They'll know how it works if they read, so help me God. Second question, you have been the president of the Senate. And therefore, you're in a great position to opine on whether or not Mitch McConnell ought to be back as leader. I've endorsed him. I hope it's not even a lot of drama. What do you think? When you think of the accomplishments of the Trump-Pence administration, whether it be historic tax relief, uh, the largest increased investment in our national defense since the days of Ronald Reagan, whether it be the efforts to secure our border, uh, reduce illegal immigration by 90 percent, unleash American energy, or maybe most important of all, see 300 conservatives confirmed to our courts, including three Supreme Court justices. None of that would have been possible uh, without uh, two years where Mitch McConnell was a Senate Majority Leader. He is an enormously talented legislator, uh, and he deserves to continue to lead Republicans in the United States Senate. Mitch McConnell has my full support. Uh, as the uh, as a Republican leader in the United States Senate. There are two headlines for this interview. I want one more, Mr. Vice President. I want to take your time and go through this thing page by page if I have to. You endorsed Ted Cruz, as you recount in So Help Me God in 2016. <laughs> and t- and tonight you are going to hear your, your former colleague in, in the presidency and vice presidency, Donald Trump, announce he's running again. Will that impact your decision on whether to seek the presidency? You know, the only decision Karen and I have made with regard to our future is that we're not going to let anybody else make that decision for us. You know, I heard a long time ago there's two kinds of people in politics, Hugh. There's people that are called and people that are driven. Dan Coates told you that, didn't he? He did. You've got a great memory. Well, I, and, and so help me God, you know, people will be able to read that. I, I've been both. Yep. I, I let... I let my ambition get ahead of me early in my life. But, uh, you know, ever since we were elected to Congress and then governor and then to serve as vice president, Karen and I have always uh, sought the Lord's will in our life. We've approached decisions prayerfully. We've we've sought to go where we're called. And that's how we'll make this decision after the first of the year. You know, Mr. Vice President, one last political question. I really do want to go to the details of So Help Me God, because it's actually inspiring and important for people to read. But um, in 2016, and you detail watching this with some amazement, the former president just knocked off Jeb, and then he knocked off Chris Christie, then he knocked off Marco, and he went down the line. Do you think those who oppose him, whether you are not, whether you're on that stage or not, and you haven't made your decision yet, should they get together and organize beforehand to avoid the, the serial knockoffs that the former president is so good at? I mean, he's very good at this. Look, look, the American people love competition, Hugh. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, yes, uh, we do. Karen and I have gone to the Indy 500 race probably, you know, between the two of us probably over 50 times. And, uh, you know, they have 33 cars out on the track, and uh, they drop the green flag and they go. And, uh, uh, you know, I have great confidence in Republican primary voters that we're going to uh, we're going to sort out who should be the standard bearer of our party in the days ahead. Karen and I will prayerfully consider what role we might play in that. But I'm I'm confident. I'm confident that uh, uh, Republican voters around the country are going to choose a leader that's going to lead our nation back to the policies and uh, uh, and kind of leadership that'll that'll bring this nation to to, uh, even greater heights than ever before. You know, in um, so help me God, you detail that then President Obama was invited by you to speak 
when you were the conference chair. Earlier in that conference, by the way, Dennis Prager and I spoke at your invitation, and you spent lunch that time. You won't remember this, but you made a beeline for my table, not because I was there, because my son was there, and you spent the entire lunch talking to him. I note that you note throughout, folks who focus on kids, they include President Bush and President Trump. Why was that so important to you in 2010? Why is it so important that you would recall it with W and Donald? Well, I just remember when I was first elected to Congress that Karen and I always brought our kids in tow to any time that we were around um, uh, President Bush at, at Republican gatherings. And uh, uh, I was always struck by the fact that my kids, who were five, six, and seven at the time, uh, would get more attention than, than I would from the President of the United States. And it made such a, such a tremendous impression on me. You know, if you know the Pences, uh, you know a family. And uh, uh, other than our faith in God, the center of our life is our kids, uh, two of whom are military families uh, today, all three of whom we're incredibly proud of. And, uh, and so for me in, in my public life, I've, uh, I've always tried to emulate those lessons learned, to really uh, keep focus on our faith and keep focus not only on our family, but, uh, uh, but uh, the men, women, and children uh, of people in the public debate. You know, you just mentioned something. There are a lot of, of similarities in the Hewitt and the Pence stories. I also have two kids in the military families, and I've no. learned a lot from that. I have learned an enormous amount that I did not know. What have you learned from being the father of an active-duty military person, the father of an active-duty spouse? Well, you know, my dad was a combat veteran in Korea, and uh, I write about that in So Help Me God. And uh, uh, my son's a captain in the United States Marine Corps. My, my son-in-law is a lieutenant. In, in the United States Navy, and uh, uh, I, I can just tell you that uh, for me, what what I've what I've learned uh, is what it what a joy it is to see to see your children uh, do better <laughs> than you did before. I you know one of the regrets of my life was that uh, in 1977 when I graduated from high school, I uh, I had a I had a desire to go into the service, but that combat veteran actually said, you go to college, and if you want to join the military after that, do that. And I never got back to it. But my, my son and all of our kids have all been such a big part of our life uh, in public service that uh, to see him, to see my daughter and my son-in-law, and uh, uh, to see our youngest daughter also, it's, all of them have answered the call to give back to this country, and it's a Frankly, they're all my heroes, uh, Hugh, and you know what I'm talking about. I do. I have the same thing. But I had no idea how hard it is to be a military spouse. I really yeah. didn't have any idea until I it's saw something it up I'm, close. I'm, something I'm probably proudest of with Karen Pence is that when she was second lady of the United States, and maybe it was because we had military spouses in our family, our incredible daughter-in-law, Sarah, our, our daughter, Charlotte. Uh, but Karen spent uh, a good part of her her service as Second Lady of the United States focused on reforms that would support military families and military spouses in particular. In fact, I, I had the privilege of speaking at the Marine Corps Ball last week uh, at my son's Marine Corps base. Oh, that is fun. And Karen sent along, <laughs> you know it is, and Karen... Karen sent along bracelets that she'd been passing out for years to military spouses. And uh, I've actually come across uh, families around the country who've showed me their bracelet and expressed their appreciation. Karen, Karen calls them the hometown heroes and the spouses of those who serve in the uniform of the United States, who deploy overseas, and they look after uh, 
they really are the hometown heroes. Yeah, I went to a Navy birthday with my Navy son uh, last week, and I, I heard a couple of great Navy people speak, and it's really special, and you don't know it unless you're a veteran, but Karen Pence is an Air Force brat, like my wife is a Marine Corps brat, and <laughs> she, she always get asked, why, why didn't your kids go in the Marines? He said, my dad's turned over in his grave, and why didn't your son go into the Air Force if you wanted to fly, <laughs> since Karen's an Air Force brat? <laughs> That's what we about got it covered in the Pence family. Karen's dad was in the yes. My dad was in the Army, and we, we got a Marine and we got Navy. Um, but you know, I think I think uh, for our son, I think he was uh, I think he was inspired by his grandfather's example, but also I think he was inspired by my brother Greg, who is a member of Congress today. Uh, Greg was in the United States Marine Corps, and. Uh, I write about uh, a very long day we had back in 1983 when my brother was actually stationed in Beirut um, in the in the weeks before what became the worst uh, peacetime loss in the history of the Marine Corps. 200 Marines fell in it. What was what was in fact the first shot fired in the war on terror um, at the Beirut airport. And uh, uh, but. We, we praise God that my brother was uh, already shipboard at that time. He came home to his family and lived a great life and is, now serves in the Congress. But I, I think he had an impact uh, on Michael. And uh, uh, But we're, we're just proud of all of them. And, uh, One uh, of the great things about So Help Me God is that you bring people into a political family. Uh, and I want to jump ahead in my outline to Audrey giving you static over the decision to suspend Syrian relocation. And the reason is people don't really know what political families or media families are like. And there's a lot of static in them over stuff. But the good kid brings it to you and they don't broadcast it. I watched Ronald Reagan struggle with his children talking about publicly what they disagree with. I appreciate that Audrey has not done that publicly. Did she ever? But you don't tell me the conclusion. What happened to the Syrian refugee resettlement program after you gave her static? When did you come back to it? Well, I was governor of the state of Indiana at the time. There was a, a terrorist attack uh, in Europe where what we saw was that Syrian refugees were using, uh, or terrorists rather, were using the Syrian refugee program to make their way into Europe to do violence. And I made the decision to suspend on the Syrian refugee program in the state of Indiana. But uh, my daughter, as I write in, in So Help Me God, had literally spent time in the Middle East. She had been to a refugee camp. Uh, uh, in Jordan and uh, uh, has a great heart uh, for people in the region. And, uh, you know, it, it became one of those moments. She gave me permission to share in the book that we that we clashed. Uh, she felt very strongly that that I was wrong uh, to suspend uh, the refugee program in the wake of that terrorist attack. I, I, I sat her down and said, as governor of Indiana, uh, the, the safety and security of the people of the state uh, was my highest priority, uh, and I would err on the side of security until I was convinced uh, that we were doing the kind of vetting that was necessary to ensure that no one was coming into our state that represented a threat to our people. And uh, at the end of the day, we just we agreed to disagree. But um, you know, the, the thing I'm proudest of about our kids is that we raised them to think for themselves. We we really did. We. We tried, as the Bible says, to train them up in the way they should go and the belief that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. We taught them about our Christian faith, raised them into church. But one of the lodestars for Karen and me has always been that our kids think for themselves. We have enormous respect for them, and uh, 
to this very day, we continue to be very, very close to all of our children and incredibly proud of who they are. I love the story about attending the commissioning of your son after uh, Officers Candidate School at Quantico. I've been there before for different people, not my kids, and I've been at an OCS for my kid, and I just think it's the you, you just swell up. And they identified his fiance without doing so. I just thought it was a well-written. Let me go. <laughs> very well-written story. Let me go to um, the controversy that my caller called about earlier, the RIFRA controversy in Indiana. Sure. It's on page 133. I have not seen you. Literally not seen you since Rick Grinnell was sworn in as our ambassador to Germany with his husband, Matt, there. And you held the family Bible for Rick and you swore. I've not seen you since that moment. And my question to you is, um, what do you think the Republicans ought to do about the same sex marriage act that is going to come to the floor in the Senate today or tomorrow uh, that Rob Portman, Susan uh, Collins and others are sponsored. I would vote for it because there is no attempt to overturn Obergefell and it does protect religious liberty. You wrote in, in uh, So Help Me God, you quote Micah 4.4, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. Mm, uh, right. well, how does that play into what Republicans ought to vote on the new uh, Marriage Act in the Senate? Well, I'm actually glad your caller raised the issue. It was... Um uh, the title of that chapter in So Help Me God is, is Lessons Learned Defending Religious Liberty. Yep. Um, you know, we um, Indiana enacted the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It was immediately, almost overnight, uh, it was mischaracterized um, by the national media and the political left in the country as somehow a license to discriminate when, when in fact, some I think some 30 states at the time had Religious Freedom Acts and President Bill Clinton had signed the federal religious freedom law. It really was, it was in the days leading up to the Oberfell decision that would, that would legalize uh, same-sex marriage that um, there was a desire to ensure that, that people with deeply held religious beliefs, beliefs that I share, that marriages between one man and one woman would continue to be able to hold those beliefs uh, in work and in, in, in worship and in their lives. And uh, uh, but I tried to be candid. I tried to be humble about lessons learned along the way, because as I as I said once again in the book, um, that you know, the people of Indiana are the greatest people in the world. They're they're loving, uh, they're caring, they're generous, uh, they're strong-willed. Um, but uh, Hoosier hospitality is not a slogan, and I uh, we took some steps to uh, protect constitutional liberties, but also to make it clear that that Hoosiers don't believe in discrimination against anyone. I don't, I don't think anyone should ever be harassed or mistreated for who they are, who they love, or what they believe. And, and I think we landed there. And, uh, you know, I'll always hold the view that I have about traditional marriage, Hugh. And I, if I was in the Congress of the United States, I'd, I'd vote in a way consistent with uh, my values. But, you know, I truly do believe at the end of the day in Indiana, we squared it by simply standing on the express language of the Indiana Constitution. You know, one of the, one of the ways I think God used that experience in my life was, uh, you know, six months after that controversy in Indiana, we were able to bring the state back together by focusing on the religious liberty, the freedom of speech, and or freedom of religion and freedom of conscience that's in the Indiana Constitution. And I write about that, and it would... It would be another half a dozen years later in another January that uh, with that lesson enshrined in my heart, I would simply focus on what the Constitution of the United States had to say and uh, and to stand there for square. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. 
Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.